Number seven, 72, been announced, and as you mark that, isn't it wonderful to think about the songs we just sang together? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. A song of confidence and assurance, looking forward to a far better climb than what this world has to offer. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. That reminder of that precious text that we have, which is the Word of God. Not as if, of course, we're interested in the suppositions of men. And certainly that middle song that referred to Jesus, our Savior, that we look to serve with grace and with favor. Glad to see everybody here today, and certainly the opportunity that's ours to offer worship unto God. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 1.18 this morning. If you'd be turning to that passage, it was read in our hearing just a moment ago, as Lester read that for us. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We're going to talk about the preaching of the cross this morning. And in fact, a few lessons or observations based on that one verse that touches that subject. This introductory slide will motivate us or move us along in that study perhaps like this. There is no single topic, no single subject that will rise to greater in prominence that will be a matter, a topic of greater import than is the cross and all that it will mean. No wonder so often the Bible writers then will base their appreciations on something connected to the cross. And yet, as Paul began the first Corinthian letter, here early on in that inspired book, he directly points us to the cross in that text that was just read at our hearing a moment ago. I would like to invite you to then appreciate the title I've given, which I hope will be consistent with the text, Testimonies About the Cross of Christ. The word testimony means a declaration, a proclamation, as if an eyewitness account were given concerning this matter. Based on the cross and this passage, what are some immediate testimonial facts? Let's look at the first one like this. There's a testimony immediately to not only the existence of God, but a number of particulars about Him. Did you note the way the verse ends? But unto us which are saved, it. What's the it? The cross of Christ. It is the power of God. Implicit in this, you see, is an immediate testimony to God. When you and I reflect upon the cross, it is a timeless message of not only God's existence, but of a few of these things we're now prepared to note. God is a God of love, isn't He? And when you and I appreciate the cross, we see not some distant tyrant who watches over his creation with a desire to club it, if you please, to death. But one who looked upon his creation, appreciating their failures and their sins, but with a desire to offer them the opportunity to do something about it. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, the power of God. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And to speak about His death, that is to say the death of Christ, points us to the cross whereupon that death took place. That next observation I ask you to consider was this one. As our Savior was in the flesh, and as He was so buoyantly proclaiming the marvels of His character and of that of the Father, He said... For God so loved the world, 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 3, verses 16 and 17. To speak then about the cross, or at least to give thought to it, oh, certainly enough, Jesus died there. But what a statement of the love of God. What a statement of the existence of God and His desire for all of us to be right with Him. Didn't Paul say it like this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4? He said, speaking of God, He will have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. It isn't God's desire, His will, that anyone die lost, but He does leave it to our choices, and He does leave it to our choosing. Maybe one final thing about that. The message of the cross, as it of course refers to God, is not always well received. There are those, not only in ancient times, but even in modern era, who think about the cross as more or less an insult. Do you mean to tell me, they would say, that there is a man who died for my sins? Well, what could he do for me? What could he accomplish for me that I couldn't do for myself? Some might be quick to say. Maybe in a mindset of independence, they might feel, well, I don't need anybody's help. And yet, that disdained message is not only true today, at least in the mind of some, but in Galatians 5, verse number 11... In Galatians 3.13, Paul spoke about those who would find insult in the cross that day. I hope you and I in wisdom will never, of course, begin to think about the cross in any way like that. But lesson number two, not only does it proclaim, you see, in relation to God, but this verse also says something else. May I read it again? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. There's a rather amazing testimony, isn't there, in this very verse to what I've entitled, Existence Beyond Death. You see, we're all going to die, whether good or bad. If the Lord delays His coming, we're going to die. That's just how it is, Hebrews 9.27. But you see, this verse doesn't talk just about that. There are those who are going to die, and in that era are going to perish, and there are those who are going to die, and in that era, appreciate salvation. And so this verse, in a very real way, also points us to that interesting observation. Isn't it so that there have been philosophers and other classes of thinkers who have wrestled for millennia about existence after death? Is there existence after death or not? How often have men longed for some direct word from someone beyond the grave? And there have been shysters through the ages that have made a number of statements and impressions along that line. But we are looking not for hallucinations, and we're looking not for the purported statements of some. We want an absolute statement of veracity. Paul here gives it to us. Testimony like this... You see, the cross points us to the fact every one of us are going to stand in a proverbial way in front of it. What the Lord did at the cross points to your life and mine. And am I going to, in fact, implement and apply to myself the blessings available by way of that cross? Or will I live my life in defiance of it?
rejecting it. This existence after death, of course, is keen, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul to this same congregation would later say, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. If we don't have a faith that will carry us beyond the grave, if we don't have an assurance, a confidence, an absolute character of our existence that will carry us beyond the grave, Paul says we're miserable. Whatever else may be said about our faith, if it only impacts our life here, if it only gives us some hope for the here and now, oh, we're of all people most miserable. Along that line, Paul next would say, eternal life, of course, in many of his writings was found in Jesus. And didn't Jesus state that himself in John six forty seven? How often did the New Testament writers connect the cross to eternal life? In Acts chapter 2, verses 27 to 32, the very day the church began, that beautiful sermon that was delivered by Peter and the others on Pentecost, Peter directly said that with wicked hands you put the Son of God to death, verse 22 to 23, but then quickly highlighted in exciting faith, God raised him up. And then he said this, David, you see, was buried, and we know where his sepulcher is, but yet the tomb of the Christ is empty. He, of course, was put to death on the cross, but the grave couldn't hold him. Just as surely then as the resurrection of Christ was a source of hope and life for those of that day, it should be for us. When you and I were baptized, we were raised to what? Newness of life. We didn't just come up out of the water, same person, just wet. We came up a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And that new creature in Christ had not only hope for this life, but assurance of the life beyond. That kind of hope is real, and that kind of hope is very powerful. This testimony of life after death, I again would be quick to say that there are some who would laugh at us for believing in life after death. There are scientists and there are other scholars of various circles who think it's laughable to even contemplate. They would say, isn't this life all that there is? You, di you die and it's over. Many an individual has thought along that line, and you can read their writings. You can read what they have to say. It's filled with hopelessness. It's filled with a negativity. It's filled with praising man as God. You are your own God, they would say, and there's nothing beyond you. It is in that regard. Some of them have, it seems, had some different thinkings as they approach their own demise. It's a bit interesting to read some of their writings as they themselves approach death. Were they fearful? Were they then concerned? Were they then mindful of what some others believed but they never did? it would certainly appear that some of what they say begins to lean in that direction. And yet you and I can live our life assured in the nature of that life after death. Romans 14, 13, or rather Revelation 14, 13 would say, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Testimony number three. In addition to these two, look at another one that's also evident in this passage. 
a testimony to sin. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now the word sin doesn't directly appear in the passage. But how often do we see its nature in the book of 1 Corinthians? The character of this is why the Lord died the way that He did. It was for our sins. And so that testimony brings us to develop that point like this. There is a thing called sin. It may be a little word, but it sure is a big idea, isn't it? The fact that God has a law, and whenever, wherever, whoever transgresses, it is guilty of sin. 1 John 3, 4 will say, Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And as John made that statement, then it was true in Noah's day. It was true in Moses' day. It's true in our day. Whenever God has a law in place, then when there are those who choose to violate it, when there's those who choose to transgress it, that person has become guilty of sin. And sin isn't just a matter of somebody's judgment. It's God's judgment. With that in mind, look at that next point. Man did a great injustice by condemning Jesus, didn't he? Didn't Pilate even admit, I find no fault in the man? He said that more than once in the gospel accounts. I don't find anything worthy of this man being put to death. And yet, he washed his hands of the matter proverbially, turned him over to the Jews, and they thus, by way of the Romans, put him to death. What injustice was in that? He wasn't deserving to die. But yet for our sins, that was the will of God that, that, that it be so. The existence of sin. I've invited you to notice what sin does to all of us. Isaiah 59 will again rather loudly proclaim that sin is what separates us from God. His holiness, His perfection, and His presence. Today then, when you and I commit sin, it is not a light matter. I know that the devil will try to make it out that it's a minor thing. But of course it never was. My sin was so great that it nailed Jesus to the cross. Your sin was so great that that's what was the cause of it. The Lord being put to death, may we never look past the cross and its personal implication for what it meant for me and for you. One last thing about that is that arrangement of sin that, of course, the devil tries to make so very real. In James 1, beginning in verse 13, we are rather pointedly told, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That particular movement, that particular channel, is of course what happens in every single sin. That third lesson takes us to the fourth one. Aren't you excited that because all of us are thus guilty of sin, Romans 3.23, that surely by the fact that there are some who are saved, there is a thoroughfare of forgiveness. This verse also points us in that direction as well. I've asked you to consider it 
from the words of 1 Peter 2.24. What is it the Lord took to the cross? We know that He had very few earthly possessions. And yet Peter would say at that location, He took our sins. He bore your faults and mine. Every time you and I choose to tell an untruth, however often that may be, However time we make choices to, say, willfully forsake the assembly and commit sin, every single one of them, He paid a price. He made an opportunity for forgiveness available. How thankful ought we to be for that reason, this fourth one. What about forgiveness? Look at verses such as Isaiah 53, verses 1 and following. We'll not note all six of the first six verses of that chapter, but could I point out just a couple of them? He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, verse 3. Verse 5 will rather directly say, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Healed? Doesn't that indicate forgiveness? by virtue of what He experienced, the agony, the excruciating character of it, if we avail His blood to ourselves, we can be forgiven of these things. The nature of that forgiveness highlights so beautifully atonement and the sweetness of all that goes with it. We might ask of ourselves individually, am I right with God? Are you? We can be forgiven. The choice is ours. These first four points have then brought before us a number of things about the testimony of the cross, but the fifth one goes right along with it. And it casts a spotlight on two particular words in the verse. May I read it again? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Paul was teaching rather strongly that there were two classes. May you and I be understanding of the fact he didn't mention a third possibility. Either a person is saved or a person is lost. A person is in fact saved or going to perish. Those are the only possibilities. And as Paul's told that to the, that ancient congregation at Corinth, remember that congregation was located in a place that was well-schooled in contemporary thought. The Greek culture, you see, was a very strongly motivated one to where you can figure out by rationality and by thought what needs to be done. Paul didn't make any recourse to that line of thinking. He said everybody in light of sin and the opportunity to be forgiven is either saved or you're going to perish. What is it for you and for me? I've asked you to notice a few statements on that slide. In our modern world that is so often given to pluralistic thinking, there's a whole spectrum, many would say, and Paul didn't know anything about that. Am I saved today? Are you? It's important to be honest. It's important to be very clear that the basis for that has to be the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I think. Many a person throughout this life has thought one thing and found out something very different. For isn't it still true? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, 
but the end thereof are the ways of death, to borrow the wording of Proverbs 16.25. As you and I give thought to these two classes, what was it the Lord said? Isn't that what He taught in Mark 16? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. The Lord only knew of two classes, the damned and the saved. Paul only made reference to two. As you give thought furthermore to that nature of two, consider how the cross factors so easily into it. Later we will read in the book of Galatians and also in Philippians about those who are enemies of the cross. An enemy of the cross. An individual who perhaps is aware, at least by way of fact, what happened there, but have never gained an appreciation or made application of its sense to themselves. And so they live as an enemy of the cross. It would be easy for you and me to do that today. We perhaps knowing very well what happened there, but just completely not allow it to have any power in our life. To know what Jesus did, but to never obey the gospel. To know what He taught, but never avail ourselves of what took place. Those two classes, maybe one final thing to notice is the way the verse ends. To us which are saved, it is the power of God. Think about the joy of entering heaven. For those who are saved and their entrance therein will have been made possible by the cross. Perhaps through the endless ages of eternity, they will have upon their heart and mind the sweetness, the grandeur, the nature of the cross and the fact of what the Lord endured for them. These two classes that I've mentioned here, borrowing from that verse, perhaps share this idea. It is a dramatic question. Which camp am I in today? And what about you? For that reason, the last slide today will be this one. Two quick but rather final observations will be these. Two more testimonies that follow from this passage. The first being this. There's a message to be preached. Did you note the way Paul worded it? For the preaching of the cross... The cross certainly is a historical fact of which you and I have no doubt, but it's a message to be preached. What took place there is to be shared. It is, in fact, not only to be lived, but to be spoken about, the preaching of the cross. Those thoughts I've asked you to consider on that slide begin like this. The cross is so central to everything for which the New Testament stands. Later, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of the very same book, Paul would say, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The message that perhaps would be easy enough for many to preach is powerless. Any message that doesn't rest upon the cross and upon all that that cross involves is a message that is not the gospel message. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Today, aren't we thankful? Twenty centuries we are removed roughly from that event, and yet we still have the power of God exemplified in the truth which the Bible presents. That preaching of the cross highlights, you see, that it is in Christ 
that these wonderful truths and blessings come our way. Experiencing that which the Bible will call grace. Experiencing that which the Bible presents as the ultimate appreciation in faith. I've asked you to consider the final thing in that sixth point. The cross, you see, points us to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And it is that very thing that every one of us have to do if we are to be faithful to God. Because in baptism, the old man dies to sin, is buried, and the new creature in Christ rises. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. That still, you see, is the remarkable beauty, the impressive nature of what baptism is all about. And yet, you'll notice that every one of us have to involve that very idea. So the question, I suppose, could be this. Have you and I been scripturally baptized? To those in the audience who have not been, I hope you won't wait much longer. I hope that you will understand, that you see, that the testimony of the cross is this powerful. There was an event that occurred outside Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. The Son of God died for you and for me. And the testimonies of this verse still ring wonderfully true. And so the seventh and final testimony we'll consider this morning is this one. The cross, you see, is a testimony to life. I suppose we all know well that this world brings so many problems and things that disturb the heart. Sometimes it's unthinkable that people will choose this course in life and will act like that. But you see, they're misguided. They're choosing to walk away of sin and to choose to walk in a way that's only hurtful to themselves now and for all eternity. You and I have been urged to do better than that. The love of God man manifests itself that we can do far better than that. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved it's the power of God. May we be thankful for the cross and the life which you and I can enjoy as a result of it. You and I can live, really live. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins, that kind of nature has been put away after they've been baptized. We no longer allow sin to reign in our mortal body, Romans 6 verse 12. But as you can see near the bottom of that slide, what a host of promises are now ours. I'd like to quickly note them as we make ready to close the lesson. 1 John 2.25 will say, Eternal life is the promise God has given. But that isn't for everybody. It's for those who will appropriate the blessings available through the cross to themselves. Have you done that? Have I done that? We might do even better than that. Once that has been done, have you been faithful to that way of life? Because you see, the cross not only is a one-time matter to which we must give our assent, it should be a guiding theme for the rest of our life. Are you living under the shadow of the cross daily? Am I? That cross, you see, is something to which we'll always appreciate as Christians. It is the basis of who we are and the basis of what we hope to be. One last thought is the promise found. In 2 Timothy 1, verse, verse number 10, life. Do you want to live eternally? 
if you do, the cross is the only way to make it happen. If we could be of assistance today as we close this lesson and reflect upon the cross, the invitation will be summarized on this final slide. We've looked at seven testimonies based on this one verse as it relates to the cross of Jesus Christ. And among those seven, testimony to the existence of God, to life after death, to the nature of sin, also to that of forgiveness, only two classes. Finally, the last two were those of the beautiful message of the gospel and the final matter, of course, life itself, eternal life. We live here only for a little while. And then this old physical body will go the way of death. But there is a life beyond this one. But it's only available for those that are made ready for it. Have you made ready? Are you making ready? The cross of Christ is the matter to which we'll point all of our attentions today. If we can help you in your obedience to the gospel, won't you bow in submission before the cross? Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of those sins which you've committed, which of course nailed Him to it, with a desire to commit them no more. Confess the grandeur of His name as the Son of God and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. At that point, you exit that water and ponder it for a moment. Every sin you've ever committed is no more. The guilt of it is gone. You no longer will have to give an answer for the nature of what you committed. It's gone. That concept in forgiveness is rich and profound indeed. But once you have, of course, exited that water, then you have been motivated to live a life of dedication to the one whose name you professed as King and Lord of your life. If today we could be of help in that regard, we'd be delighted to do that. But may I say, if you have known the way of Christianity, but for whatever reason, you have come to live differently. You've begun to speak one way, but yet on Sunday you give a different kind of appreciation to life. Maybe those that know you don't seemingly see a connection between your life and the cross. It's time to make that right. For you see, the Savior that died for you, you've walked away from Him. It's not He that moved, you did. Won't you come back to your first love today? We'd be delighted to pray for you. And upon your confession and repentance, He's promised to forgive you. This song of encouragement has been announced, number 772. If we could help you at this moment, it's a convenient time, and the time is right. Today is the day of salvation. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?